0: You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. This episode is brought to you by the McKinsey Quarterly.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Today, we're going to be talking about the next recession. When will it come? How will it come? And importantly, What do we know about managing through a downturn? While we can't predict the future, we can learn lessons from history. How successful companies have positioned themselves going into a recession, and the actions they take during and after the downswing. To talk about all of this, my McKinsey publishing colleague Tim Dixon caught up in Amsterdam with Sven Smit. Sven is a senior McKinsey partner, He works on strategy across a range of industries and has helped clients navigate multiple twists and turns of the business
0: cycle. So without further ado, over to Tim. Let's start with the likelihood of a downturn. So what do you think are the chances of a full-blown recession this year?
1: Well, clearly, Tim, at the moment people talk a lot about it and there's more volatility in some of the broad measures that you could look at. The one thing I will say is that people that tell you you can predict when it's going to happen are essentially not truthful because the evidence is that there are no good predictors. In hindsight, there are some people that said they timed it. Uh, and as a result, I would say you'd be very careful to just take a prediction and so on. Of course, you should listen to all the different pathways by which people are talking. Something might happen because that ups your readiness. And yeah, you could say it's been a long time. So winter will come. And after that, summer will come again. And when winter will come is actually deeply unpredictable.
0: So what are the sort of things that people should be be looking for? What's what's most likely to precipitate a downturn in your view?
1: So the uh, the pathway of uncertainty and downturns is actually also very often surprising. So here again you could much more look at a collection of things that might be, and then think there will still be one that's surprising. I could imagine that we are doing a very, we're going through a very large experiment in monetary policy with quantitative easing that we're partially unwinding, we're changing interest rates. How does that work through? Where will the next bubble sit? Is it a housing market? Is it tech? Is it, you know, where does that sit? People will talk about that the trade stuff that's happening right now might have an effect, and yes, that might have an effect too. It might be that the leverage at the moment uh, is uh, high in certain places, which might then mean that's tight uh, and so on. But there will be, and people have been raising a series of pathways, and one of them will, or many of them will, one way or the other, touch
0: this. A lot of people's benchmark, of course, is the recession of 2008-09. And I wonder if you could say how broadly you think the next downturn will be different from that one.
1: I would basically say that you can almost with certainty say it's different. Because I I can't recall similar recessions in my 28 years uh, in business.
0: Each one is different.
1: They're all different. And they have different reactions. uh, They hit different sectors. The financial system is always somewhere involved they start in different places they you know some started geographically in asia some started in the bond market some started in a mismatch in inflation and so so they and and interest pricing and so so there's so many places where different recessions have started the one thing that i feel fairly comfortable saying is this one will be
0: different so with all these uncertainties at this particular point at the beginning of 2019 are there some no regrets. Moves things that companies, chief executives can do uh, at this stage before we know how it's going to play out.
1: The simple answer on this is: the more health your business has today, tomorrow, and the next quarter, the more resilient you will be in the downturn. In the sense that, if your if your costs are lower, you have more buffer to take on stuff. If your balance sheet is not so leveraged, the more stuff. And capacity you have to take on stuff and you also the more capacity you have to invest. That's one thing. The second one is you could at least have some of the pre-work done, if not already work, work it, to say what is the destination investment post-crisis or recession and already have the majority of your investment in that area so that you have good stuff that will be there and accelerate at the moment it moves, it moves out.
0: Once a downturn starts, we we know from new McKinsey research that the fortunes of major companies varied last time. In particular, a group of resilient organisations dipped less in the downturn and widened their lead in the recovery. What broadly did those companies do differently to the rest?
1: We found that there were 13% of companies that just were more resilient. They had real outperformance in total return to shareholders. And then we looked at what did these companies do. And if you look at it, they really maybe already moving a little bit ahead, but only ever so slightly pre-recession. So they were doing already some good things. But they created a very significant gap already through the recovery, and then in, and then doubled that gap or more uh, post-recovery. And if you then look at that. The revenue profiles of the resilient and non-resilient companies is not that different. Actually, it is really on the on the margin side that you see that way earlier you can see improvements in margin in the downturn. So you literally have in the downturn the margins improving, uh, and the improvement rate dips a little bit, but it's it's still going up, while the uh, margin in profile of the non-resilience is is going down during the downturn, uh, and and only uh, sort of one year after starts to go up. uh, And that comes from far more proactive operating cost cutting, which the non-resilience really postponed post-crisis, and also working hard at leverage, in particular through divestments. And they just get into a much better cash position that also allows them to then invest in what is basically the future path. And that was quite substantial.
0: A lot of this is going to require cost cutting, and CEOs are going to be told to cut costs And there will be lots of advice about how to cut costs. Can you talk about that?
1: Now, if you look at cost cutting, there's a few buckets. One is just fundamentally improving productivity, which is almost no regret. And you want to keep on doing that and invest against it because that productivity is always going to be good because it means you produce the same outcome with just less effort. And all of that makes total sense to continue to do. You could have some postponement of investment, because you have some uncertainty but the real issue is not so much the postponing it's are you ratcheting it back up fast enough when the recession is done quite a lot of stuff that happens is that people ratchet down and then they wait too long to bring it back up and that's where the nuance is. like when you postponing is a good way to think about it because you don't know you know when the sky falls from the heavens and that's the feeling at that moment i would also sort of pull almost all brakes But once you know it, the sky didn't fall from the heavens. You should put the gas back on. And uh, putting the gas back on is actually a hard thing. And then I've seen some companies had, I would say, very good alignment with local and national uh, governments on how to support sort of the the labor situation in a downturn, where for the government it's not great that everybody just gets into the streets. Uh, But at the same time, the companies can't, handle all the cost anymore and I've seen people that knew that the upturn would be good for them find a solution with governments to say you you pay half,
0: I pay half
1: and and as a result the people were not released but the people were sort of protected one way or the other.
0: Sounds from what you say as though CEOs should be mindful about the social consequences of the actions they take in a forthcoming recession.
1: We are not living in a Milton Friedman-esque system where you know if you don't have demand you just fire the people and you know the market will solve what happens to the people the demand of society to dr- to run a business and a government uh, or institutions in a responsible way is only heightened and i think the the current tensions that you see in politics are an expression of that in many ways and and I would always consider on how you're dealing with the knock-on effects, how, have you, how the multitude of stakeholders are part of your journey. This will be different by geography, a little bit in terms of the intensity by which this is needed. But it's also because business and institutions alike have the responsibility for the people that they're, they're, that they're in. So you see, it's not only for a downturn, for example, in the advent of digital, many, many companies are retraining their people for the future job and that might be one way to think about it is is some of the jobs that will be released will be old jobs and that will go a little faster but you would hope these people to have the capability for the new jobs and that might be one way to address responsibility is to already work on the retraining of the workforce so that what you have is at least a decision to take to people into the future
0: nevertheless there's a a, saying don't let a good crisis Go to waste, and uh, I'm sure a lot of CEOs will be will be mindful of that. Can you think of uh, some examples of uh, the sort of things that people should be doing in that in following that mantra?
1: I think the best examples are the are the people that have continued to invest. They continue to invest in pockets of demand that you know are there, whether it's new energy technologies, new technologies in manufacturing, new semiconductor technologies that you know that for which the demand will exist. Continued miniaturization in electronics is something for which there's infinite demand. It might just be cyclically uh, gone for a while, and then, you know, it doesn't make sense to stop the investment in that ongoing research, for example. So th- th- one lens is that investment. And the second one is seize opportunity. Uh, you know, if some other player moves a little odd in reaction, that's a time for you to to... Snatch assets snatch people, and so you could have a proactive stance, which is that the crisis is truly an opportunity. The other part is you can leverage the mindset in a company a little bit when, when when a a downturn hits some things that were frozen organizationally socially in an organization, you can then get moving because there's more you know you can use the pressure a little bit to get some boxes to move that were frozen
0: one of the issues that people think about is is uh is M&A obviously when the recovery comes but it's not enough to wait until the recovery comes when thinking about the whole uh... divestiture and acquisition uh... program companies need presumably to start now and what sort of principles should they bear in mind when thinking about M&A?
1: On M&A there is not that much evidence that people are good at timing philosophically there are people who say my I have a strategy by which I know what I would want to buy and sell, and I am going to try to to time it. And you have companies that literally say, I buy whatever at that point in market prices, and sometimes I buy in the high and sometimes I buy in the low, but I never let something go that's available. And the evidence is not that strong that one or the other is better. Uh, I could make an argument that the second one, which is a bit more consistent, has the advantage that you're sort of building a constant capability of integrating and so on. But clearly there will be particular opportunities that unfreeze in an M&A market because of a downturn. An asset that you've been waiting for for 20 years might just have been knocked one way or the other and then makes it available. Of course these are particular, this is not, then you're not doing it because it's cheap but it's become available.
0: Can we just switch back to the whole digital disruption context. Digital is, is already dividing winners and losers, and I imagine uh, an economic recession is going to exacerbate that even more. Yeah. How do you see that uh, playing out?
1: So if you take some sectors that are sensitive to aggregate demand, like retail, where there's retail is under a significant pressure from online plays, they're of course also playing themselves into online the switch to online might go all of a sudden a lot bigger. I would say if you have a a business that is challenged by online and then you get a demand drop, you get kind of a double drop. And these areas, I think they will be more exposed. The ones that are already sort of the parts of a business that are sliding because of the digital disruption, they will slide faster. And they might, uh, you might expose some things that you don't see now because of that additional drop. And so the, the profit sensitivity might be very big on that side. On the upside, I would say this is a place to continue to invest. The future will include digital. The future will include the online. So th- the differentiating move is to up it
0: in the downturn. As you go around talking to corporate leaders at the moment, what are people saying to you? What sort of... Uh, Actions are people taking, particularly executives who perhaps don't have long memories who weren't there last time?
1: I, think I see most executives are sensitizing their organizations to that something might come and play through some scenarios. What would we do then to have some heightened readiness uh, and awareness so that you don't have to invent the playbook? There's some that don't do that, but I think it's very prudent like some of these executives that I talked to do, is that to have a playbook for what you do if a downturn happens, with some scenarios on how it might happen, and say, okay, this is the script that we're going to work off of. We will modify it based on what really happens. And that playbook, I think, is an important uh, point. I think one of the things that I've learned in these these either single company events or these larger recessions where many companies and, and institutions got under pressure is just how hard a test that is for leaders, if you look at it, uh, you know, the last one was eight years ago. So most CEOs maybe were there when it happened, but they were not CEO. And it is different to be the CEO and trying to figure out what to do in a crisis than to see, the CEO th- what, to see what the CEO is doing. You actually don't know whether your leadership can hold up in a tough time. And it's interesting that in our people systems and thinking about who's a good leader or not, it's, it's not a structured item often in the HR systems you really want to make sure that you not only have the people in the front that can handle it, hopefully, and if they can't handle it, that you have a way to back it up uh, quickly.
0: So Sven, there's a, a lot of wisdom and a lot of advice that you've given. If I could ask you just to sum up perhaps you know, one overriding piece of advice you would give to a CEO at, at this stage about uh, about what lies ahead.
1: I think you should do everything possible when something complicated hits is to stay calibrated to date there's no recession that has lasted even the big ones that has lasted longer than one or two years so good times will come and in the recession the response is you go crazy cut 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 do this that and 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 yes you should be at pace full on and all that stuff but don't forget that the actions you take towards the future in the recession are as important as the actions that you take to respond to the unique event that that will take place and holding that calibration uh, is very difficult you know profit margins of companies are not that big so in a recession it will look very ugly very quickly and ugly makes you respond to ugly while the beauty is ahead or the uh, prosperity is ahead and finding that balance and as a result, finding ways to have reflective time. I would, for example, maybe say every discussion that I would start in a meeting that is about the recession, let's remind ourselves what we're doing. It We're dealing with an event. It's big, bad, and ugly. But we're also dealing with the future, which is gonna be great. That to me, I think is, and there's many, many things you can talk about, but that to me is the biggest lens that people should hold to themselves
0: the prospect of beauty and happiness ahead. That's a a great optimistic note to end on. Sven, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.